Let me say again, I love you very much, and I'm so grateful to be with you in God's house today. As we are now in our fourth week through the book of Mark, we're still in chapter one. I said we're going to savor God's word and walk through this verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the, uh, the title of our message today is Establishing a Higher Authority, okay? Establishing a Higher Authority. And, you know, I got to thinking about this lesson and this particular word authority this week, and one thing I believe about authority is that talk is cheap. A lot of people make a lot of promises, but we live in a broken world of broken promises, all right? We're thinking about maybe the political election coming up, or maybe think about job interviews that you've either interviewed or been interviewed, and, and promises have been made but not necessarily kept, maybe even in relationships, uh, there's promises made and not necessarily promises kept. But at the same time, God has wired us in such a way that we are hardwired to be in amazement over authority when someone is given the power to do something and they do it with excellence. We love to admire. We are admiring creatures. Think about this on the sports field. All right, ESPN has made billions upon billions of dollars because people love to watch the one player who has the authority to take over a complete game. Championship game, two minutes left, the one player that will step up and ride the team to victory. We love watching that. But not only that, think about the corporate world. All right, in the corporate world, when someone is given special authority, to go into a situation maybe where a company is fledgling and they're in the red and, and the company's about to go under and hundreds of employees are going to lose their jobs and then this CEO with this authority and this wisdom goes in and gets the company back in the black again. And then they write their best-selling biography because we love going to the bookstore and read over and over these people who have this special authority. And not only that, think about your own families. There's patriarchs represented in this room today. Some of, some of the people in this room are patriarchs, and many of you are here because of the patriarchs of your family. Men who were given special authority and who took your family and gave your family love and direction and provision and held everything together with that special anointing, that special authority from God, and you still remember who that person is this very day. There's something special about a God-given authority that makes us stop in amazement and wonder. But as I draw our attention to Mark chapter 1, I want to say this. God gives different levels of authority to different people to accomplish His sovereign purposes here on this earth. And there's something special about watching these authority figures in action because they captivate us. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given Him a higher authority than any human being who has ever or will ever roam the face of the earth. It says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, na the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is the divine authority given only to Jesus Christ because He is the Son of God and He alone has the ability to reveal to the world the true authenticity of His authority. 
So in our passage today, we're going to look and take a glimpse at the first three ways in the book of Mark that Jesus Christ establishes his higher authority as the one and only Son of God. We've talked about this since the very beginning of the book. The, the, the title of the sermon series here of Mark is Jesus Is. And we're going to see for the first time visibly and through the weeks to come over and over and over again, Jesus is showing the world, I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. But let's look today at the first three ways in which he shows us this higher authority that God has given him as the Son of God. So if you have your Bibles, please grab them and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 21 through 28, as we look at the earthly ministry of Christ and how he has established his higher authority. And if you could stand in the tradition of this church and out of reverence of the reading of the Word of God, and we'll read Mark 1 together. Again, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Hear the Word of our Lord, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let us pray. Father, again, we love you. And we thank you, and we praise you for your son. We thank you, Father, that through your written word... We see the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And Father, we acknowledge today that you have given him a name higher than all names. And yet with this authority, Father, you've also given him the ability and the opportunity to reveal it to the world. So Father, as we walk through this passage, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive this truth that Jesus Christ is our higher authority and that we would respond to this truth today in repentance and faith and in following him. Father, be with us at this time. I pray that your Holy Spirit would saturate this sanctuary and that you would take my very tongue captive and anoint these words for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. So we're finishing up Mark chapter 1. And as we talk about the very beginning of the chapter that we read a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the prophecy of Christ. Then the week after that, of course, we talked about the preparation of Christ in his ministry. And last week, we talked about the very first words. For those of you that have red-letter Bibles, those are the first words in Mark written in red that we read last week. Now we're moving on to the focal point of Mark's gospel. Mark is one of the writers whose focus is more on the miracles of Christ than the teachings of Christ. And he's going to show us from miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus, in fact, is the Son of God. And even today, that has humongous implications for our life. But I want us today to look at three ways that Jesus Christ establishes his higher authority as the Son of God in the passage that we just read. 
And the first of those three ways, number one, look at the higher authority in his preaching. Okay, look at the higher authority in his preaching. Let's look once again at verses 21 through 22. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now here's the key, verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. To see the higher authority of his preaching in this passage, we need to look at who he was talking to, what their reaction was, and why they reacted that way. So, A, who's he he talking to? Who's Christ preaching to in this passage? It says, and they went into Capernaum on the Sabbath. All right? Two things to know. First of all, Capernaum is a port city right off the Sea of Galilee, and it's full of blue-collar, hard-working, sweat-of-the-brow fishermen, laborers, traders, merchants. These are hard-working, blue-collar people. They're not holier-than-thou scribes, all right? They are not super intellectual theologians. They're common people. And they're in the synagogue on a holy Saturday. Of course, we celebrate the Sabbath today on a Sunday, but the tradition of the Old Testament during the time before Christ, of course, the Sabbath was a Saturday. It would start Friday at midnight. It would go Saturday at midnight. And so they're in the synagogue, day of worship. Jesus walks in. He's facing these commoners from Capernaum, and he's preaching. And the next word there says that they are astonished These people, these blue-collar workers from Capernaum, were absolutely blown away. That word astonished could be defined as struck with panic or shock. When Jesus spoke, he had to have been clear enough so that the common laborers could understand them because, again, these people from Capernaum, they're not super intellectual theologians. They're common people. So Jesus had to speak clear enough that they could understand what he was saying, but he also had to be direct enough that they'd be shocked at what he was saying. Now, why'd they react this way? I think there's two reasons why they react this way to the teaching of Jesus Christ. First, speaking with the power and wisdom of God, Jesus preached right to their hearts. Jesus preached right to their hearts. It reminds me of a story that most of us have probably heard out of the book of Luke, The Road to Emmaus. Let me take you back to that little snapshot in Scripture. In The Road to Emmaus, this is right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and And some folks don't even know that he has risen from the dead and he's walking with these two men down the road to Emmaus and they're kind of mourning the tragedy of the the crucifixion and they don't recognize Jesus. And he begins to open up their mind and their heart to the scriptures. In fact, it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, the two men that were walking with each other, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Jesus had the unique authority because the scriptures were written by him and were about him to teach it and preach it in such a way that he had the authority to make human hearts burn. And he makes the men and women of Capernaum who hear this message, their hearts are on fire. Now, there's also another reason why they would have been astonished, and this is more of a historical reason. And most of us obviously don't have or have not been saturated in, in uh, Jewish history, but we need to understand that when rabbis would stand up and speak in the synagogue, they'd never speak by the authority of their own name. They would speak by the authority of the rabbi who trained them. So fast forward to 2016, it would be as if I stood here today and say, in the authority of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary who trained me, and the Guido Bible Institute, and the pastor who ordained me, and those who did this for me, in that authority, I tell you this, Jesus Christ comes and says, 
Not as they say, but as I say, the Scriptures are true. In fact, he does it, if, if you go back and look, he does it also in the very beginning of his earthly ministry. We see in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, that he walks into the synagogue, and this is how he announces that he is ready to begin his public ministry. He stands up, he unrolls the scroll, and there's this prophecy of the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. He reads it, and then he says in Luke 4, 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is not speaking on anybody's authority. He's standing up in the house of God. He's proclaiming the word of God. And he's saying, I am God and I speak by my own authority. And when the people hear this, they are astonished. They are struck with panic. They are struck with shock. And only the authority given to Jesus Christ as the son of God could make that happen. Now I began to think about an illustration that would bring this to life. And I think the baby boomers in the church will understand this one. All right, because my father would often share with me the first television set that he ever had a chance to watch. Anybody in here ever have a black and white Philco in the living room? All right, you crank that thing on. It takes about 10 seconds to heat up. You don't see anything yet. And then it just, the picture starts getting a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer. But as clear as the picture got, that Philco was black and white. But I'll never forget this as long as I live. My father told me, that one of the most magical moments of his life was the first time that my grandmother ever took him on the train to go to a Philadelphia Phillies baseball game. He spent all of his childhood watching a baseball game on this black and white TV. So then my grandmother takes him on the train to 22nd and Lehigh in northwest Philadelphia to Scheib Park. And my father said to me, he walked down the concourse, out to the field, and he could not believe how green the grass was. He could not believe how colorful that Life Boy soap sign was on the right field wall. He could not believe the sounds of the vendors, the smells of the, of the roasted peanuts, not the boiled, but the roasted, and the hot dogs. I think he might like boiled peanuts. He's just never had them. Uh, my father could not believe that what he saw on that black and white TV was only an image what, what truly was taking place every week at that ballpark. I have to believe that's the closest way that I can illustrate what happened here as Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Now remember, the rabbis are preaching the Old Testament, the Torah, and they're preaching truth. So it's not, when, when my dad was watching that black and white TV, he was seeing exactly what was happening on that field, but he was only seeing it in black and white. Jesus comes on the scene as God himself and begins to preach the word, and it's like they get it in full color for the very first time. They see and hear and know they are in the presence of God, and it leads them to absolute astonishment. Only God has the power to do that. Now, let me ask you this before we move on to our second area where Jesus establishes his higher authority. Have you ever read the Bible and had your heart burn. I wish I could tell you, I have a friend of mine who called me yesterday, one of my lifelong friends who's in the military at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri, called me yesterday, and God's really been working in his life. I'm so proud of him and so grateful for what God's doing in his life. And he said, Bo, can you just tell me more about your own walk with God? What do you, how do you experience God every week? And I said to him, Dean, I said, I wish I could tell you that every moment with God is this mountaintop moment, but it's just not that way. 
There are seasons of dryness where God feels like he's a million miles away. But then there are moments in prayer and in the reading of his word that I'm scared to look up because I feel like I'm going to make eye contact with the risen Savior. I can think of a moment in my life when I lived on a farmhouse on Hiawatha Road. I had been working at Pineland Telephone, and one of my coworkers had a room to rent. And I sat in that old farmhouse. I sat in a recliner, mostly to get my feet off the ground because there were so many roaches in the room. (laughs) But I kicked back in that recliner. I was holding that Bible, and I can't tell you why. And this specific verse I was reading was Matthew chapter 6. Here's the verse I read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and uh, whether thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I can't tell you why that verse of all verses, I read it, but I remember reading it and thinking, oh my God, this is true. This really is God's word. He's real. And this is not my home. My home is in heaven. I have a whole new mission for the rest of my life. I remember that moment, my heart physically and spiritually burning. Have you ever felt that way? Again, I wish I could tell you that that happens every time. There are days that I read scripture and I feel utterly lost. But there are times, and we may not have Jesus standing right in front of us, but we do have one thing that the Israelites of the Old Testament didn't have. We have Christ's spirit in us interpreting his word right now he's been given the higher authority in his preaching but number two look at the higher authority in his power all right let's walk through verses 23 through 26 again it says and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. The drama of this passage is a result of what happens when darkness meets light. A demonic spirit who had forced a man to live in darkness under the dominion of Satan invaded the synagogue and directly confronts Jesus Christ, the one who came to bring light into a dark and fallen world. In these verses, the words of the unclean spirit to Christ and the responsive words of Christ to the unclean spirit reveal the higher authority of Christ's power. So we talked about his preaching. Now let's talk about his spiritual power. What is it that Jesus is doing? Well, let's look at the words of the demonic spirit to Christ. The demonic spirit cries out, and the demonic spirit says, What have you to do with us? Those words could be translated, You have no business here where Satan is doing his work, Jesus. And when the spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, we need to understand the context here. That demonic spirit is not paying reverence to God. That demonic spirit is not bowing down to Jesus as the Holy One of God. In ancient biblical times in the Old Testament, when someone called you by your full name, it was a sense of control. They are basically saying, I know exactly who you are. This demonic spirit is saying to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and you have no place where you're at. None. Now, before I move on to the second part where the words of Christ spoken to the unclean spirit, let me just make a point of application for everybody in this room. 
This should be a sobering truth for us that even the devil believes that he's the Son of God. It's not enough to know who Jesus is. It's not. I, you know, I, I know that we use this phrase a lot in church, and I understand it's a part of the culture to say I've accepted Christ. But we need to be clear when we say those words, what have you accepted Jesus as? All right, Even the devil believes that he's the Son of God. But your belief will always be backed up by your obedience. Always. The difference between us and these demonic spirits, we both know that Jesus is the Son of God. The difference is we submit the rest of our lives to him. And, they, and the demons don't. But what does Jesus say to the unclean spirit? Well, Jesus stands face to face with the devil. His light will always cast out darkness. And the perfect example is this. All right, South Georgia, 2016. We're now moving into the month of September. I would imagine that most of you, like me, have a few cockroaches in your house from time to time. I still have a few. All right, especially in the garage. We finally got the boxes unpacked, but there are times... When you lift up a cardboard box that's been sitting in the, in the garage for a week or two, and what do you see? As soon as you turn the light on and open the box, you see a couple of cockroaches scurry to the other side of the room. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is in the synagogue, and this demonic spirit comes in. Darkness faces light, and the demonic spirit's like a cockroach trying to scurry at the very last second. But much like me as the homeowner has the power over that cockroach to squash it with my foot, Jesus has the power to speak and say, come out of him. The spirit's gone. Jesus has that power. He's been given that higher authority. Only Jesus Christ has the power to tell a demon to do what a demon should do, and the demon does it. Jesus Christ has that power. But let me make this real. Have you seen Jesus use the higher authority of that power in your life? Do you believe that he can and will use that power for those that love him and those that follow him? All right, let, let, let's, I always say this, let me drive up in your driveway and meet you where you live. Maybe you don't have a, a demonic spirit overtaking you. I don't think anyone in this room has. But you have demons that you're wrestling with in your life. All right, generational curses and divorces and addictions and struggles. Everyone in this room has them. Your personality and your, and your upbringing, nature and nurture, a little bit of both, kind of mixing together. And because of that, everyone in this room right now is wrestling with something. And you've said, man, why am I still wrestling with this? I, I have it in my own life. I have no idea, no matter how hard I try, I can't learn biblical Greek. All right, I've been, I've been, this is the third time at seminary I've decided to take this class. It's driving me crazy. But you know what? I'm not going to give up because I have the Spirit of God indwelling me. And the Spirit of God has the authority to do things that I can't possibly imagine. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He has exercised the authority that God has given Him in His preaching, in His power. And then number three, in his persuasion. Look at verses 27 through 28. It says, And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus leaves the people of Capernaum with one universal reaction, amazement. 
when the people saw Jesus, when they heard him speak, and they saw him work, the universal reaction was absolute amazement. I mean, think about in the Gospels early on as Jesus is not fully ready to reveal his nature as the Son of God. He's telling people not to tell anybody else what he's doing, and they still can't help but tell the rest of the world. Only the Son of God has the authority to have that type of persuasion over human beings. This popularity that he had, it spread all over the region of Galilee, and he had no help from social media. No Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. All right? He had no assistance from a printing press, so there wasn't best-selling books at Books A Million. He had no use of today's public transportation, so people weren't taking buses and trains all over the city to spread the word. But this popularity spread despite Christ telling them not to tell anyone else because he was so full of authority that his persuasion affected human beings in a way that no one else has before or since. Think about the name of Jesus, the very name of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, An angel of the Lord was speaking to Joseph the carpenter and said, Speaking about Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. That name started with a prophecy, and over 2,000 years later, the persuasion of that very name separates Jesus Christ from anyone or anything in human history. I actually spoke with Jody and asked that we could switch songs to, ha- to end with a different time of invitation today. And if I had any musical ability at all, okay, I'm jealous of, of men like John Waters and Statesboro. They get to this point of the message and they can break into song. I have no musical talents whatsoever. So you don't have to worry about me singing. God called me to proclaim. So let me read the words of this hymn. It's one of my absolute favorite hymns. There's something about that name. Jesus Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms shall pass away. But there's just something about that name. Atheists, agnostics, people of other religions and faith, they all have to come face to face with the persuasion of Jesus Christ. No other religious figure can hold a candle to his influence. It would take more faith to believe that he isn't the Son of God because it would be more miraculous that a mere man could have this much influence for this long. But we know that Christ is the Son of God because although there are many men who claim to be God, there's only one God who claimed to be a man. And that man is Jesus Christ who came to save human beings from the penalty of their sins. So that leads me to our conclusion. Jesus established through his preaching, his power, and his persuasion that he is a higher authority as the Son of God. But does he have the highest authority in your life? Does he have the highest authority of your life? All right, let me speak first of all to those who have already professed faith in Jesus Christ. 
if I was to watch your life in one week, would the things that you say, the things that you think, and the things that you do reveal that Jesus Christ is the higher authority in your life? Not saying we're perfect. All right, I'm grateful my brother Jody brought that up during our time of singing and praise that we're broken vessels and God doesn't throw away the clay. All right, if, if you needed a perfect preacher, by the way, you hired the wrong man. Promise you. But I'm saying, does the overwhelming evidence of your life show that Jesus Christ is the higher authority in your life? The way that you treat your spouse, the way that you treat your children and grandchildren, the way that you approach work even when you are not happy with your job or your boss. The time that you spend when nobody else is looking, does Jesus Christ have the higher authority in your life? Now let me ask those in this room who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, do you honestly believe that there is a higher authority worth submitting your life to? No one could preach like Jesus. No one has the power of Jesus. No one has the persuasion of Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room has a higher authority. That authority may be yourself. You may be the highest authority in your own life. It may be your job. It may be your spouse. It may be your boss. I don't know. But my prayer today as we enter into this time of invitation, if you know that someone or something in your life has taken a higher authority than Jesus Christ, lay it at the altar. Lay it at the altar. Having said that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, what do we do with your word? It is so deep, and there was so much meat on that bone, it's hard to even take the first bite. But Father, we thank you that your word shows us that your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, your one and only begotten Son, truly has been given a higher authority and a name above all names. And he is worthy to be praised in this house and in every house. Father, I pray for those in this room who do not know Jesus Christ as the highest authority, their Lord and their Savior, that they would come today and bow before Him. And for those that do know Him, Father, but have struggled to acknowledge Him as highest authority, I pray today would be a day to make things right. Father, I pray right now at this very moment that You would speak to hearts and that You would speak to minds, Father, and that we would respond to Your Spirit in repentance and faith. In Jesus Christ, amen.